We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look here at Mark chapter 7, this text that uh, Drew read to us in verse 24 and following. This is the next lesson in the training of the 12, getting them ready for the church age that is about to come on. It's interesting here that Christ is training men for what they don't know is about to come. Can God do that with us? To get you ready for what you don't know is coming. And so he's, uh, he's mentoring, he's opening things to them. He's making them do some things they have never seen before. Watch this. In verse 24, it said, Jesus got up and he went away from there to the region of Tyre. Tyre is essentially, it's Lebanon to the north of Israel. He's going to go to Tyre uh, and Sidon of the area of Phoenicia. Then he's going to go in the next paragraph to the Decapolis. That's the Greek side of the Sea of Galilee, the Decapolis, the 10 cities established by Alexander the Great. It's a Gentile suburb. And then he's going to go in the next chapter to Caesarea Philippi, far to the north, heading toward Damascus. And so he's not in Israel proper during the rest of this chapter. And there, are, there is a reason, because the doors of the synagogues have closed on him in Israel. You do your miracles by the power of Satan. Uh, who but God can forgive sins? And so the persecution had begun. The emphasis in this part of Christ's ministry is the training of the 12. If you knew that you were about to die, in the next few months, would you get the guys ready that you're going to leave behind? And that's what he's doing. And so he needs quiet to get away. And so he's in the quiet training these men. Little lesson for us. To really be trained by Christ, you have to have quiet. Y'all know where the word scholar comes from or school? It comes from the word schole, S-C-H-O-L-E, schole. And it means leisure. And that's what a scholar is. He's someone that finds leisure to learn. Uh, what does God do with Adam? He walks with him in the cool of the day. There is leisure. And so you have to have a quiet time of leisure where you and God withdraw. And so the door is shut, persecution is growing, and leisurely Christ is now training these men. In verse 24, no one is supposed to know that he is there because I need you away from people. I need you quiet. Are y'all discovering in your life that you have to make time to be alone with God? You really do. That's why smartphones make you stupid, okay? So we're gonna get away uh, there's going to be a time that we're going to go out and minister to the Gentiles, but it's not yet. I've got to get you ready. They don't know what's about to happen to them, but he's got them among the Gentiles and he's beginning to train them for something that's going to happen in their lives that they're not even prepared for. That's the excitement about walking with God. He does things that you're not ready for. It's exciting. And so he says in verse 24, he couldn't escape notice. You know why he can't escape notice? Because the rumor goes out among the non-Jews that the guys that the Jews don't want has come here. This person that is called the King, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed, the Christ, he is among us. The Gentiles are pretty much failures. Kingdoms come and go. The Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Medes, the uh, Greeks, the Gentiles, the empires come and they go because they don't have an absolute for their politics, for their morality, for their family, for their arts, uh, for their religion. They don't have a foundation. And so all Gentile civilizations become archaeological digs in time. Maybe the U.S. 
they become archaeological digs. The nation states that came after Rome always have their day and then they go away. Spain, England, France, Portugal, and all the like. Germany, they come and they go because they don't have a foundation. Do y'all remember when the Apostle Paul went to Athens? And there among the Greeks, he went to Mars Hill, the, uh, the Areopagus, where the, the philosophers gathered to debate and to search for, it says, anything new. They wanted something novel because what they had had didn't work. It couldn't put them in touch with the infinite. That's what they were groping for. And Paul comes there and he notices that there is a altar to an unknown God. The uh, Greeks had to make sure they didn't miss one. And so they put the one God that they didn't know. And Paul said, you're in luck because I'm about to tell you who it is. And he begins to explain to them the gospel. And the scripture says that they said, what has this vain babbler to say? They called him a spermologos. You ever been called that? You don't know what it is to make you mad. It means a seed picker. It means you don't have a novel thought in your head, but you're just an eclectic grabbing a little of this and a little of that and passing yourself off as a new thinker. You're a seed picker, a spermologos. And one of the older men there at Mars Hill, Acts 17, says, oh no, this man is teaching strange deities. No, he's no spermologos. We've never heard anything like this. He's talking about God being father and son, the son becoming a man, the man becoming a criminal, the criminal dying for what we did, rising from the dead, and through no effort of our own, declared worthy of life after death. That is no spermologos. And they said, We're, he's speaking to us of strange deities. We've never heard anything like this. And so you remember whenever Christ is born, a year later, here come the wise men from the Greek, from the, the east, probably the area of Persia. And they come and they say, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we have come to worship. And that's what the Gentiles are always asking. Do you guys have something, you Jews, that none of us have? Yes, because the Jew was a recipient of the word of God. And they know that there was a beginning of the heavens and the earth and that God created it and man in his image and evil was something that came about through rebellion and there's a solution through the promise of Messiah and sacrifice. Amen. And so the Jews had something nobody else had. John chapter four, salvation is of the Jews. And that is all Christianity is. It is the knowledge of God given to the covenant nation now being exported to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts. That's all it is. It's truth taking off. And so the Gentiles are saying, there's a rumor that the Savior is here where he doesn't belong among the Gentiles. Every time I read this, I think about years ago, about 15 years ago, Teresa and I were out in California at uh, San Jose. We had just finished speaking out there at Mount Hermon and I was coming back and the, the airport was all clogged up in security. That ever happened to you? Where you lose your face real quick and it's clogged up, all right. And I'm sitting there praising God for the stretching of my patience. And I'm noticing there's a little gaggle of people, a lot of African-American gentlemen surrounding a particular fellow with a baseball cap. And a buzz started going out through all men over the age of 50. Okay. Is that him? I think that's him. Is that him? It looks like him. I don't know. Just a buzz. There was somebody there 
And I took a look and sure enough, it was Willie Mays. Who has no idea what I just said right here? The ultimate five-tool man of baseball. Baseball is hitting, hitting with power, fielding, throwing, running. That's five tools. Most guys can do one or two. Some guys could do five. And they're the guys that make lots of money. Okay. And Willie Mays could do all of those five, arguably as good as anybody in the top three among baseball, in any of them. He was phenomenal. And so he was there in that airport. And all, everything just stopped in the airport. I thought they were looking at myself. And it, and it wasn't. It was Willie Mays. That's how you do it. Okay. And uh, I read this, and that's what I think of. The word goes out. Somebody's here. It's kind of funny, but afterwards, we, I flew a lot, so I was in the Admiral's Club. And so I'd go to the Admiral's Club, and I'm sitting there, and Willie is in the Admiral's Club, and he's there with his entourage. And while I'm sitting there just looking at him, did I speak to him? No, no. That's the Holy of Holies. And I didn't venture in that. I'd be struck dead. Okay. But there was a black kid, tall, thin, maybe 14, 13 years old. And he saw that that was Willie Mays. And he's in the Admiral's Club. And he gets up and starts over toward him. Okay. And he looks at me and he says, is that him? And I said, yes, my son. <laughs> and I was really nervous because Willie Mays had a, a, uh, a reputation of being kind of short with autograph seekers. And I felt sorry. I said, yeah, now, kid, he may be busy. I'm not because Willie was receiving people over there. And he walked over there, and this lady got up and talked to him, and she's whispering, okay, yes, okay, stand here. And she goes over, and Willie's sitting there in his chair, and she bends over, says, Don Corleone, someone's come here. And what's that, what's that? And so Willie motions him, come on. And he came, and he shook his hand and spoke to him. The kid spoke, and he listened to him. Watch him do this. Shook his hand again. The kid walked back. And as he walked back, this kid had tears coming down his face. And he looks at me and he goes, I love him so much. <laughs> and I've often thought that's the way that a Gentile comes to Christ. He's here. I wonder if I could talk to him. But he just doesn't say come. He says, you stand there. I'll come. Let's talk. And then he dies for you. No guy does that. And so that's what's happening right here. The buzz is out there. There's a savior. Incidentally, Tyre is in the area of Phoenicia. And that is the classic Gentile area. Among the Gentile nations, Tyre Whenever I say Phoenicia, what do you think of? Boats, ships. There was a connection between Tyre on the coast of the Mediterranean and Tartessus in Spain, Tarshish. And that is where uh, in Ezekiel 27, Tyre is called, quote, gateway to the nations. And if you read Ezekiel 27, when you go home, I know you're tired of reading Ezekiel, okay. But you go home and take Ezekiel 27, and it goes down a rundown, likening Tyre, Phoenicia, to a great ship that had fabulous wealth trading with the nations. It's the classic, it's the L.A. of the Gentile world. But God judged them. You know why? Book of Amos. Because when I say Tyre, what do you think of? Remember Hiram, king of Tyre? He helped David and Solomon uh, in establishing their kingdom and building the temple. He brought down the lumber for the temple and he established, quote, a covenant of brotherhood. They were the closest Gentile nation to wed themselves to the Jew was Lebanon, okay, as in the cedars of Lebanon. And yet by the time of Amos, they had forgotten the covenant of brotherhood. 
Is it possible for a Gentile nation to be established by the knowledge of the God of the Jew and then forget about it and turn away from him? Yes. And that's why in their day of Alexander the Great, he destroyed the island city of Tyre. So I'm just glad we're America and we're beyond judgment, aren't you? Okay. And so here comes the Messiah. And in verse 25, it leaked out to a woman. She had an unclean spirit with a daughter with an unclean spirit and she fell at his feet. Why? Because she realized Satan is not territorial. He doesn't just lurk within the boundaries of Israel. First uh, John 5, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Revelation 12, he deceives the whole world. He is the prince of the power of the air. And so she realizes Satan is not territorial. He's everywhere. And pain is not restricted to Israel. And her belief system is impotent. Her belief system can do nothing to release her from this power. You remember when Christ talked about this world? He said the strong man guards his own possessions and he is fully armed and his possessions are undisturbed. Question, who's the strong man? Satan. Fully armed. Man can do nothing in himself to, to free himself. He guards his own possessions. Who's the own possessions? It was us. And his possessions are undisturbed. Man can do nothing to remove himself. And so this woman comes. Because idolatry is one thing. But when it gets into your daughter, when it gets into your family, it's ugly now. And so she says, I need some help. And I need some help outside of me. I need some help from an infinite, personal, transcendent, imminent, living God. I don't need idols who have eyes but cannot see and ears but cannot hear, and tongues and cannot speak, and feet and cannot move. I need the infinite personal God that is only worshipped by the nation of Israel. I need him. It's been my experience that whenever you're witnessing and somebody thinks they don't need God because they're too rich, they're too smart, they're too pretty, or they're too famous, or they're too strong, you just stand close because the day is going to come that they're going to come down. The winds are going to blow, the floods are going to rise and break against that house and great shall be its fall. You just wait there till they go down. It may be a thief on the cross that looks toward God in the last three hours of his life, but you just stand there and they're coming down. And so in verse 26, this Gentile kept asking why does she keep asking? Because Christ didn't immediately respond. And verse 27 tells you why. He was saying, she kept asking, he was saying, let the children be satisfied first. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In that little sentence, you have an acorn of what is about to become the oak of the New Testament. Don't take the children's bread. Question. I asked the first service and they were like, oh, for three. So come through for me now, okay? Take the, don't take the children's bread. Who's the bread? Christ, Jesus, okay. Who are the children? Don't take the children's bread, the Jews. You don't, y'all are so much smarter than the first service. They haven't been fed when they come. That's the problem, blood sugar, okay. You don't take the Jews' savior, the children's bread and take it and throw it to the dogs. Who are the dogs? Gentiles. Now, hang on just a second. I'm going to tell you something you don't know. There's a word for dogs, kuon, K-U-O-N. That's not the word. That word is used on like, beware of the dogs. Beware of the, it's, it's a hound. 
It's what chases you when you're out walking. Okay. It's a hound. It's a mutt. That's not the word. It's the word cunerion. And that means a house dog. It means a pet. And that's the word. You don't take the children's bread and throw it to the house dogs. The dogs, well, not in my house. But normally, the pets don't eat with the family. Don't interrupt me. <laughs> because I know you've got Fifi, Fawfaw, and whatever. <laughs> normally, when do the Cunarion, when do they eat? After the children. And so Christ is not turning her away. He's just saying, wait. There's a day coming when I'm going to take the children, Israel's bread, Messiah, and we're going to take what they didn't want. And we're going to give him to you. You, hear what, you see what I mean by this is the acorn of which the New Testament is the oak. We're about to see in the New Testament, Peter goes to the Jews, Paul goes to the Jews, both are rejected, and then they go to, in Acts 13, you and I. Though so the children got the bread later. Aren't we glad? Okay. Now, the woman here, I want you to notice she says something in verse 28. This is a trivia question. How many times in the Bible does Jesus get out-argued by a person? One time, by a woman. I didn't say anything. He gets argued to a standstill by a woman. The woman is persistent. Women can be that way. She says, yes, Lord, just like a woman. No, let me rephrase it. She agrees with him at the outset. And then once she has duped him, <laughs> she now goes after him. Okay. You would have thought Christ would have known better. He had sisters. But he doesn't understand the woman's mind at this point. He's omniscient, except here. She says, yes, Lord, I agree with you. Meaning you are the bread, they are the children, we are the dogs. Yes, I agree with you fully. However, yes, Lord, but even the cunarion under the table feed on the children's crumbs. Meaning there is a way the dog can cut in line. And that's that they take what the kids don't want. That woman understood, you're the savior, they're the people, we're the dogs, and you are going to come to us very soon. I understand. However, I'm asking for what the kids don't want. Because she could have said, Jesus, there's a reason you're up here in Tyre and Phoenicia. Because they don't want you. I would like to cut in line. Whenever my kids come over to eat, there's never been a time that my family did not have a cunerion. Okay, dogs. We've got a Yodi and a Sally right now. And so whenever the grandkids come over to eat, uh, the dogs come under the table. Why? They're waiting for broccoli and asparagus spears, okay. And they will eat what the kids don't want. Whenever I go to this refrigerator to dig, do other men in here eat out of the refrigerator without closing it? Okay. Do women do that? I don't think they do. Okay, Steve. Whenever I'm eating out of the refrigerator, just before I get rebuked, my dog, Yodi, will just come to my feet and wait. He'll wait for me to drop something, and he'll get what it is. When I get up in the morning early to read, I put on the coffee, I get some toast, and I'll, she knows when I'm up. And she'll come, and she'll sit at my feet, and she'll wait for crumbs. And that's what this woman does. She's got an incredible grasp of what's going on here. And so... Jesus in 29 says, because of this word that you know who I am, you know what I'm going to do, and you stand on it. 
He says, the demon has gone out of your daughter. A mere thought. We're miles away. And he speaks in the past tense. That demon's already gone. Because I knew why you were coming. And I knew I was going to lose this argument. And so, madam, the demon has gone. Why? Because I want it to be. I want it to be. Notice that he grants a healing, though he is not physically present. He grants a healing, though you can't see him. This is prophetic of what's about to happen. With the Jews, he will always come and touch them and stand right there with them. And they can see it because they have to see it. They want miracles. With the Gentiles, you remember the, the Roman centurion whose servant was sick and he sent Jewish elders to ask Jesus to come. Because they were Jewish elders, Jesus said yes, and he let to go. And on the way, he sent servants that said, you don't even need to come into my house. I'm a man under authority. I say, it's done, said to me, go and come, and I go and come. I got men under me. They say, I say, go and come, they go and come. I know this authority deal. You say the word, and that servant is healed. And Jesus marvels. Never in Israel have I found such faith. You guys always have to see me there like a genie doing it. This guy just recognizes my authority. Go your way. Your servant's healed. The Gentile saw healing, but he never saw Jesus. Uh, the nobleman or the, the synagogue official that came to Christ because his son was near death and said, come. And Jesus said, go. I don't need to come. Go. He's healed. And the next day he goes, they said, he's healed. He said, when did it happen? That's when I talked to Jesus. And he himself believed in his whole family. He never saw the healing. He never saw Jesus in his home. It happened without Christ's physically presence. Another good story. A Jew gets beat up from Jer Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, his former enemy, a Samaritan, comes. And he finds him. He takes his garment and bandages him. He pours wine on his cuts and disinfects them. He puts oil on them and softens them. He puts him on his donkey. He's passed out. He's beat up. He takes him to an inn. He says, take care of him. He stays all night. The next day, he says, here's the money. Take care of him until I return. That Jew woke up safe and sound and saved. And he would have said to the innkeeper, who did this? The innkeeper would have said, a Samaritan. My enemy that isn't allowed to even touch me? That's the one. He actually took his garment, he took his oil, he took his wine, and he healed you. How am I going to pay for this? He paid for it too. How am I going to pay for it in the next couple of days? He paid for that too. He paid for the past, the present, and the future. It's all paid up. And that Jew would have said, I'd love to see him. And the innkeeper said, hang on. He's going to come back. Isn't that a good story? You're healed by what you don't see. Thomas, unless I can put my finger in the hole in his hand, my hand in the hole in his side, I will not believe. Jesus appears. Put your finger here, your hand here. He falls down. My Lord and my God, blessed are you because you have seen and believed. More blessed are those in the future who will believe and not see. Guess what he was speaking of? You. There's going to be the world that is going to believe in the finished work of a Messiah that has died and risen and ascended. And they're going to be saved and they'll never see me. Isn't that good? Peter, though you do not see him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Where is that fulfilled? Answer, in this room right now. Raise your hand if you're a non-Jew. <laughs> All right. We're a bunch of Gentiles. We probably represent most of the known world. You got healed by somebody you still hadn't seen. And you're not going to see him till he comes back. 
And he has paid everything of the past, present, and the future. He's given of his own to save you. And you and I sing right now of our salvation because we know it's going to happen. Amen? And so this text, this signature text, this sign where you put a whole volume into a story, it's happening in your heart as I speak. That's amazing. That's too good to be true, but it is. Well, uh, what's the, incidentally, what's the lesson here, the training of the 12? It's called world missions. I'm going to get you ready someday. This woman is the first of what is going to become an entire world of the dogs. Book of Acts, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Then we're going to go to Judea. Then we're going to go north to Samaria and then to the outermost parts of the earth. Peter goes and is rejected. Paul goes to the Jews, is rejected. God sets him aside and says, let's go. And here we go on the missionary journeys. And here we are. Well, in verse 31, there's another story that only Mark tells. Nobody else does. We've seen a woman healed. Now we're going to see a man healed. He also is a Gentile. It says, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis, the Gentile suburb on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And among the Gentiles, they brought to him one who was deaf. Why did they bring him to Jesus? Because their religion is impotent. Their Greek philosophy is impotent. Y'all remember Chuck Colson of the Watergate controversy? He said, you know, he got put in jail. He, he had become a Christian. And while he was in Maxwell State Penitentiary in Alabama, he wrote his testimony for a Christian magazine. And he said a guy wrote him back that was a young soldier that read his testimony and got converted and led his wife to Christ and brought about change in his whole family. I'm listening to Chuck Colson share this in 1973 at the Dallas Christian Businessmen's Club. There was like 2,500 men there to hear Chuck Colson. And Chuck Colson spoke, this Brown graduate from Brown University in the Ivy League, Marine Lieutenant, who was one of six men in the world that could walk in the Oval Office unannounced, was Chuck Colson. He was Nixon's hatchet man, if you remember. And he stood there and talked to all these Dallas businessmen. And he said, gentlemen, and he ran down his resume. He said, I had access to power like you men only dream of. And I had it. It was a phone call away any place in the world. I executed the power of the president of the United States. I had that freedom. And then he said, in all my years in the White House, I didn't see one single life changed. He said, I wrote an article for a Christian magazine and I saw a whole family turned around just by a couple of paragraphs. He said, I'm telling you, the only hope for our country and all of man is the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if I say that, I'm supposed to say it. I get paid good money for saying that. He said it and it was dead silent. Nobody could argue with it. And so the Greeks are saying, Plato doesn't help us. Socrates doesn't help us. Aristotle doesn't help us. You know why when you look at a, in a library, you don't see a singular volume on philosophy? Because nobody agrees with everybody else. That's why you find books and books from the pre-Socratic Greeks all the way to San Francisco. You just, and it just gets crazier and crazier. And so these Greeks come, just like the, uh, the Phoenicians. There's no greater Gentiles than the Greco-Romans and the Phoenicians. And both of them say, help, help. Incidentally, y'all remember when Paul got called on his second missionary journey? He went to sleep in Troas and he saw a vision of a Macedonian, a Greek man. And the man said, Come over here and 
help us. The Greek said to the Jew, help, help. And so here's the Greeks, help. In verse 32, the man is deaf and he speaks with difficulty. That is the Gentile world. They're deaf. They cannot hear the truth. And as a result, they cannot articulate the answer. This is true of the college campus. Amen. Steve Poe, you're a professor, but you teach business. You don't have to teach theology. You're okay. But this is the college campus. This is Congress. This is the media. They can't hear the word of God. And thus they cannot articulate the answer. All we can do is just go around in a circle. We're trying to lift ourselves. You can't do it. The, the cause can't be the, the, the effect. You can't bring it around. And so you, they, he can't hear and he can't speak. And they begged him to lay his hand on them. This was me. I remember searching in 1971 in emptiness, looking for anything. And I happened onto a magazine by AIA, Athletes in Action of Campus Crusade for Christ. It had testimonies by Joe Wiley of Ohio, of a, oh, what's that school up north? Oklahoma. He was giving his testimony. And then a guy from the East West Coast from Stanford named Terry Pape about, and Terry Pape's testimony was, and I can still see the black and white photo of him intercepted the ball. And I was reading it of him having a big hole in his heart and trying to fill it. And everybody was saying he should have been happy because he was a scholarship athlete. He was this, he was that, he had a girlfriend. He was all these things, but he was empty. And he said, I would go on walks at night, just hoping that maybe I could find some answers in myself. And he said, until I heard the gospel, that there was a God who loved me and came and, and redeemed me and could save me. And he said, I trusted Christ and I prayed this. Jesus, I've tried for 21 years and I've failed. I cannot do it on my own. I need you. Come into my life. And I read that over and over and over again until I memorized it because I couldn't figure it out. As smart as I was, a phys ed major that made a seven on the genetics test. You would think I could have understood it, but I read it over and over and over. And somehow I knew that down in that paragraph somewhere there was an answer, but I couldn't find it. And I just kept reading it. I was deaf. And thus when I had to articulate what life was, I spoke with difficulty. Until a guy came into my room, shared the gospel with my roommate. I listened over his shoulder. And he said to my roommate, are you a Christian? My roommate said, yes. He said, what do you think a Christian is? And he gave him the answer. Somebody that keeps the Ten Commandments. That's what I would have said. And he simply said to my roommate, you keep them? You not only don't murder, you've never hated anyone. You don't only not go to another man's wife. You've never lusted. You a virgin? You've never disobeyed your parents. You never got a beaten. You've never lied. And my roommate is silent because God has shut up all in disobedience. And I was silent too. And then he said, and when he said this, the lights came on. I was never the same. He said, Rex, in my roommate's name, Christ, the law wasn't given for us to live by it. It was given to show that we can't. And that's why the law is followed by sacrifice. Someone has to die. Jesus did that. That judgment being paid, you could now come to God. He could come into you and reconcile you back to him. And I went, voila, there it is. I thought if that is not true, it should be. And the lights came on for me and I didn't do it because I still could not get by my will. I understood that if he was sovereign, you couldn't have both of you behind the steering wheel. One of you had to move. And I wasn't that convinced that I was not able to run my life having made a seven on a genetics test, having led us to no wins, <laughs> okay. But later I did. And when I did, I began to want to read my Bible. People would ask me what happened and I could articulate clearly, simply, with brevity, but nonetheless clearly about the living God. 
Ain't that something? So I experienced this. I was deaf and I had nothing to say. Well, he took him aside from the crowd because we're not going to syncretize God with Eastern thought or Greek thought. Y'all know what syncretism is? Two creeds brought together into a centaur. We're not going to do that. You leave your Greek past and you come away with me and you look at me and don't you look at anybody else. What was Luther's creed? Sola Scriptura. We're going to trust the Bible. He took him aside and he put his fingers in his ears. You're going to hear. And after spitting, touched his tongue. Y'all ever hear of a kid that is the dead ringer for his parent? And he's called the spit and image. Spit and image. That's your life. Just try it. Turn to the guy next to you. I'm just kidding. All right. I'm going to open your ears. Incidentally, that has to be the sequence. I don't touch your tongue first. I open your ears first. I'm going to get you where you can listen and hear God. And then I'm going to touch your tongue. And you're going to say stuff that isn't completely stupid. You're going to say something with sense. And sure enough, he looks to heaven with a deep sigh. There, my friends, is the Trinity. The son, the mediator between God and men. He looks to heaven, to the Father. And then he goes like this. And there is breath. Numa, the Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the wind blows. Y'all remember at Pentecost when the wind came? Like a mighty wind, the Holy Spirit. And it converted those men. What was the next thing that they did? They spoke in tongues. And they clearly dialect. Uh, they, they clearly explained in a language of the Gentile the mighty deeds of God. They could now hear and speak clearly. And that's what happens. And so he says with a deep sigh, be opened. And his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking clearly, plainly. I experienced this. When I got converted, the woman that taught me Sunday school at Herring Avenue Methodist Church in the youth department named Pawnee Martin, she had seen a change and talked to me and heard that I got converted. She said, could you come to this Sunday school class of junior high and high school kids, 1972, and talk with them about what happened? I said, sure. And I got in front of this class. Now, this was the same class that I remember Miss Pawnee Martin years earlier had said, What's y'all's favorite verse? Tommy, what's your favorite verse? And I went, hmm, there's so many of them. <laughs> uh, she said, you can't quite come up with it? Yeah, just come get back with me here. I can't quite come up. I didn't know what a verse was. And then she turns to the class scholar, Nellie Olson. What's yours? And Pam Gardner. She said, you know, my favorite verse would have to be everyone's. For God so loved the world. And the rest of the class began to chime in. And I had never heard that. And I'm watching them all give John 3.16. And I got up to speak at this same class. And you ever have an out-of-body where you're kind of looking at yourself? And I saw myself at the rostrum where Pawnee Martin had spoken things I could not, did not hear. And I found myself up there articulating things. And I remember just because I had grown up in that class. And here I was. And I was, I remember saying what I thought. I said, you know, I spent a lot of my years looking for axiomatic truth. How about that? Axiomatic. That's five syllables. And I said, I was looking for axiomatic ideas and I couldn't find them. I said, I had a guy and I shared my testimony. I said, now, there's a lot I don't know, but the essential things, I do know. And that's who God is and what sin is and how it's removed. I was incredible. Full of humility and piety. Okay. 
And I remember just kind of backing up and saying, did that really happen? That my ears were opened and I could speak plainly of the word of God. It opened a whole new world. Well, in verse 36, he gave orders not to tell anyone. There will be a day, he goes to the Gentiles, but not yet. But the more he ordered, the more widely they continued to proclaim it because they had never seen anything like this. Not among the Greeks, not among the Phoenicians, not among the Romans had they seen God come down and fix a human being. Chuck Colson, not one life did I ever see changed. I gave a testimony and a life got converted. Amazing. And in verse 37, they were utterly astonished. He has done all things well. He makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is utterly impossible. And he did it. Isn't that a great story? A woman and a man. Now I want to show you something interesting. Go to your left to Matthew 15. And in Matthew 15, this story appears for the first time. In Matthew 15, verse 21 through verse 28, there is the healing of the Syrophoenician's daughter. And then in verse 29, a crowd assembles. And it says he goes in 29, along by the Sea of Galilee, having gone up the mountain, and he's sitting there. He's in the Decapolis. See also Mark chapter 7. Large crowds came to him, bringing lame, crippled, blind, mute. There's the guy that we just studied about. And many others, and they laid him at his feet, and he healed them. And the crowd marveled. I think they laid them at his feet. That term is never mentioned in the New Testament because they're not sure that this Jew will reach out to all of these Gentiles. And so they lay them at his feet, like that little boy going to talk to Willie Mays. I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to see if he'll let me, if he'll let me come. And they lay their people down. And in verse 31, or at the end of 30, What's the last three words end of verse 30? He healed them. 31, the crowd marveled, utterly astonished as they saw the, what's the next two words? Mute speaking. Dawn, you have your glasses? Okay, put your glasses on, okay. And the crippled restored and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified Look at the last four words of verse 31. You've never seen them in the New Testament. You'll never see them again. They glorified something. What does your Bible say they glorified? The God of Israel. Because what kind of crowd was this? A Gentile crowd. Dig this. He goes to the Syrophoenician. That's one Gentile. And then he goes to a bunch of Gentiles. And then in verse 32 through 38, he's going to feed a crowd of Gentiles, 4,000 of them. When he fed the 5,000 Jews, how many baskets were left over? 12, because you got 12 tribes in Israel. This is a Gentile crowd. We're going to have not 12 baskets, but seven baskets. What's the number of completeness? Seven. Someone has said there's seven continents and seven seas. This is a Gentile crowd, and we're going to feed them. And it says in verse 37, you see what the word baskets is? How many at the end of verse 37 have a Bible that has a modifier in front of the word baskets? Don, you know what a modifier is? You got large baskets? Good. Thank you, Don. Don Reeves. Okay. Large baskets. Steve, you got large baskets? That's there in the Greek. They're not small little baskets. These are laundry baskets because we're going to go to the whole Gentile world. Syrophoenician, one girl. The crowd, bunch of Gentiles. Feeding in the 4,000, all Gentiles. 
Isn't that amazing? The door is being opened. And he's saying to the 12, I want you to learn this. This is your next lesson in the training of the 12. We're not going to just keep this to ourselves. We're going to go where the gospel has never gone. That's why in our church, 40% of our giving goes outside this church. It goes to the world. That's why we have BTCP to train guys to go out. That's why we have discipleship to train guys to go out. That's why we announce our missionaries. That's why we have an missionary training institute. Whenever a church loses its sense of mission, that church is dead. They're done. Because they and God are not even on the same page. You with me? Training of the 12. Father in heaven, we thank you for this almost hour of study of truths that are transcendent. This truth is not taught on the campus. It is not taught in the business. It is not taught in the factory. It is not taught on the air, on the media, unless they're Christian media. It's not taught and sung about in the arts that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we are all here, Lord, because we have been touched by Jesus Christ and converted. Not that Plato reached us, or Socrates, or Aristotle, or Schleiermacher, or Kant, or Kierkegaard. Not Karl Marx, not Lenin, not Stalin, not some secular humanist, not Charles Darwin, not Thomas Dewey, not anybody but Jesus, the Son of God who became the Son of Mary, that he would become the Son of destruction and know your judgment and be raised from the dead that he might be the Prince of Life. In him we hear God and in him we can speak clearly. Teach us these things. And Lord, if there is one man or a woman here whose family is in disarray, whose life is in fear and jeopardy, whose culture is impotent and whose religion has failed them, whose politics have failed them, their philosophy has failed them, that they have looked to education to do what education cannot promise, and that is bestow divine life, that you might open their ears and you might touch their tongue. And we'll ask this through Christ our Lord.